I'm so glad you folks are able to make it today. I'm so glad that you chose to get out of your beds and to meet with God's people. Some of you, it's a sacrifice. Some of you, it might be the only day that you get to sleep in, hang out with family. But we trust that as you meet together with God's family, that your heart will be full. This is an amazing season, and there are times when when we forget that. So it's good to meet with God's people and to recalibrate and be able to focus. Our church loves to worship together. We pray. We praise we read the scriptures, and, and we even encourage each one of you to listen to God, not only here, but every single day. God, what is it that you want for us? You know, today we continue our Christmas series called Visitations. Visitations, no matter who they are or where they come from, they always change us. They do. We have to either prepare a room, We have to prepare extra meals. We have to change our schedule oftentimes. When grandma or aunt or cousins come over, everything is a little different. It's a little more hectic. It's a little crazier. Sometimes it's exhausting, to be quite honest. Well, today, God visits Bethlehem. He literally shakes up our world. No one could believe it. Away in a manger. No crib. No palace. A barn. Let's pray. Father, Again, we're overwhelmed by what you do for each one of us. This is a season that we get to focus on how crazy that you had. We do, and we thank you for that. I pray, dear God, that you would somehow supernaturally meet us today, that you would help us focus, and that we would be able to see you so clearly, that we would leave with such full hearts, That would be overflowing. Lord, to some of us who are so busy this past week and almost just about crawled in here today, we pray that you give us a time just to focus. We love you, Lord. We're grateful. We are grateful for all the different churches up and around this street. We thank you, God, that, that there are a plethora of people, even now, raising their hands and praising you. We also know, Father, that there are hundreds of thousands of people that don't know you. And I know, Lord, that you want to break into their lives. That's who you are. Would you use us during this season? In Jesus' name, amen. You know what we've done is that uh, we have recorded Leah Paulson reading our scripture today.
So if you could open your Bibles or your flat screens to Luke chapter 2, we're going to focus on the first seven verses. And Leah, if you could read for us, that'd be great. The birth of Jesus, Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral town to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem and Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth and Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there is no lodging available for them. You know, my guess is, even though we have the scripture up there at this moment, so many of you have at least read that scripture once a year. Maybe it's around a table. Maybe it's around your tree. Maybe it's right before you open the presents. My guess is, is that some of you have read that passage more than once a year. You oftentimes see some of these same words on Christmas cards. You are often as we kind of reflect on this, almost desensitized on what just happened. Well, hopefully we're going to be able to focus just a little bit on this and maybe help us understand a little bit what Mary and Joseph have been doing. You know, if I could give you a little bit of background, uh, Mary and Joseph for the last six months have been living the dream. Okay, maybe not living the dream. A 14-year-old gets visited by an angel. Joseph, the fiancé, gets visited by an angel, and we went over this last week. But it's really important to understand that this was really unusual. Mary went off to see Elizabeth, a relative, and for three months she stayed there. After the three months, the scriptures say that she went back home. Now, we've tried to share with you a little bit culturally what this looks like. And when a young lady was promised to a young man, uh, this was a betrothal period during that day. And it could last anywhere from six months to nine months to a year and sometimes even longer. They were considered married, but, but they weren't living together. And, and the husband would do his deal, due diligence to be able to prepare this home perfectly. So at the wedding day, the celebration, that they would be able to move in and start living together. Well, Mary got this news after she was promised to Joseph. Joseph was excited just like any new husband is. Oh, I, I get to start my life with the girl of my dreams. 
She leaves for three months, not really understanding that, but it didn't matter to him. He was just going to prepare that home. Well, she comes back. And the only thing we know is that the Scripture said that she went back to her own home, her own house. Now, that would have been normal at this moment because they didn't move in together. But it had to be sometime soon that Mary and Joseph needed to tell family and friends. I mean, a pregnant girl, no matter how skinny she stays, and and there are some that sometimes it's a little bit difficult to, to understand and to see the pregnancy. But my guess is it's going to show. And there's going to be some explanation happening And Mary's probably still living in her household, and her parents are looking at them and are looking at her and saying, Mary, what's going on? Dad, I've told you. This is this is something that's special. I have not been unfaithful to Joseph. I don't know what to say. And I'm sure Joseph is having the same conversations. And they're struggling, they're wondering, and the Scriptures just tell us that Joseph took Mary as his wife. We don't know much more than that. She came back home after the three months, she went to her house, and Joseph acknowledged that Mary was his wife, in spite of all the talk, in spite of all the things that were going on. Well, sometime while Mary was pregnant, Emperor Caesar Augustus sends out a decree. All are to return to the towns of their ancestors, back to their roots, in order to register. Now, Joseph was a relative of King David, who lived in Bethlehem. So sometime, whenever he got the news, and again, it's all speculation, but had to happen within a six-month time, and probably near the time that Mary was going to give birth. So there she is, great with child. This edict comes, and he knows, Joseph, that he needs to take an 80-mile trip together from Nazareth. Again, roughly, we're talking Milwaukee, folks. All right? We're talking hilly country. We are talking no trains, planes, or anything else. I mean, most pictures show Mary on a donkey. All right? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe she had one. Maybe she had a walk. But I'm pretty sure that you have someone who's ready to burst and say, dear, let's go for a little hike. Okay. All right. Uh, Oh, I don't know. Probably didn't think too much about it. But Mary and Joseph visit Bethlehem. That's not their home. But they need to go. And I think there's probably two reasons why this is so significant. 
First of all, going to Bethlehem means that they were going to fulfill prophecy. A prophecy that the prophet Micah actually had written 700 years before this actually happened. It says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you and on my behalf. 700 years before this is going to happen. Bethlehem wasn't a place of great business, great ports. It was a small town, probably even smaller than Nazareth. I think the second reason that they had to go to Bethlehem was to make a statement. Make a statement. I think God was shouting, not whispering, that my king and my kingdom are going to look so very, 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 very different. In fact, the word absurd comes to mind. It's absurd. Now, we are not looking, at least in this series, when the wise men came to visit the baby. But one of the things I just wanted to mention is that those wise men, those Persian wise men, were from the king's court. And if you read just a little bit further in some of the accounts of the birth of Jesus and and this whole unbelievable event, we find that a caravan comes from the east, the Orient. But this is a king's caravan. It's so very different. Nothing was spared. I mean, we do see three kings on a camel and all the Christmas cards. I get it. But we don't know that. What we do know is that back during that time, these wise men, this magi was unbelievably important. And they were scholarly. And they made this probably thousand-mile trip in the best of conditions. They had servants. They had tents. They had full mattresses for their tents. They went in style. That's how kings are supposed to. Have all the greatest food and all the great, even if they travel, they're supposed to be pampered. The best of everything. How ironic. How ironic that God says, I'm sending the king of kings, the one that literally created the universe, I'm sending him to earth for one thing, but he's not going to be born in a palace. He'll be born in a manger. Literally, a barn. Now, visiting Bethlehem raises some questions for me. Realistically, who would take a wife who is great with child on an 80-mile hike. 
Now, some people have basically said this, well, maybe out of fear. I mean, the Romans had total control. This was a peasant couple. If they didn't go, they would have been, I'm sure, punished somehow. And I guess that could be at least one of the reasons. But I think the real reason is that I think they wanted to obey God. And they understood the prophecy. They realized that this king, that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Now that wasn't easy, remember, okay? This still was Mary's first child. They were kind of figuring out the whole marriage thing, the relationship thing, the trek thing. It would have been so much easier. Why couldn't we just have our family around us, whether they believe us or not, and just have the baby in Nazareth? That, that seems to make sense. But I think, again, this couple was so amazing, so well-connected with God that they desired to obey and to listen. We know again, and I share this, if you have not read Mary's Magnificat, which is just a little bit after she leaves um, for Elizabeth's place, this gal is steeped in doctrine. She knows her Bible. My guess is they knew this prophecy. But my biggest question is this. This is a big detail. In God's scheme of things, if you look at the whole of the Bible, lots of pages here. All right? Lots of words. Lots of very, very important stuff. This is God's word to us. It's his love letter. Amazing. If this is such a big deal, a big event on the timeline. Why so little detail? I mean, I know, you know, as you talk to different people in your families or different kids that you have around, some want all the scoop. Hey, what did you do today? Uh, I don't know, hung around. You know, for some people, that's a perfectly good answer. Hung around. But that was never good enough for my mother. What does hang around mean? Well, yeah, I, I, I you know, went out and played ball. Well, when did you go out and play ball? Well, 13 seconds after I got home, Mom. And then, I did, and, and then you know, your snotty little son starts going down all the things that she really didn't want to do. But, but sometimes we don't like to give details. But this seems pretty important, doesn't it? It's like, it's a big deal. Why not a few details? This is what we learned. It was time to give birth. Powerful. That was powerful, you know. This was Mary's first birth. She was away from home. I'm pretty sure it was a big deal for Mary, but I'm really sure it was a big deal for mankind. And we get the sentence, it was time to give birth. You know, no doubt that she went to Lamaze class. 
And I just actually, um, you know, being a seasoned father and being in the birthing room for two fine, strapping children, I remember going to Lamaze class. That was not like my highlight in life. I'm letting you know. For one thing, you're in this room with very uncomfortable ladies, you know. And then you've got this teacher that expects you to just absolutely know everything. But you know what I found out? The stated goal of Lamaze is to increase a mother's confidence in her ability to give birth. Classes help pregnant women understand how to cope with pain in ways that both facilitate labor and promote comfort. How do you put comfort in this childbirthing thing here, okay? Including relaxing techniques, movement, and massage. Man, does that sound good. Until you women have gone through this. And I don't care how much training you have and how many videos you see and all the different things, when it hits you, you might remember a few of the rules. You know? But realistically, oh my word, I I know you're rather large. I know you are screaming. There is a head. I'm seeing a head. And all of a sudden, don't worry, I won't go too graphic other than that, a baby, a baby. Now, Mary was being prepared to be a mom. Again, talking about a 14-year-old and going through it. Remember, this was a little bit of a different culture. She probably had already been part of some births in the village. She knew what was coming on. She understood this. But all we get, hey, Mary, what'd you do last night? Well, it was time to give birth to my baby. That's what we get. And then the scripture really goes into a lot of detail. Mary gives birth and wraps Jesus in strips of cloth. Every baby I know, especially this first one, you know, if you don't know the gender, oh, you are waiting. Then as soon as you find out if it's a boy or a girl, I'm telling you, Grandma and Grandma, go crazy. Grandma and Grandma, no. Grandma and Grandpa. Go crazy. All of a sudden, if it's a boy, there is so much blue around, you're you're dizzy. Beautiful clothing. All this kind of stuff. You're going in. This is like a king coming home from the hospital. What Mary does? Has some cloth. I'm pretty sure she knew she'd need some cloth. She knew the baby thing wasn't going to be easy. She wraps Jesus. And some cloth. Some cloth. Not even new cloth, I don't think. It's kind of strips of cloth. Then the scripture goes on. I know some of you are waiting. Jesus was laid in a manger because there wasn't any lodging available. And we all know the stories. We think of that. And some of us picture Joseph just anxiously knocking on every door. And what's wrong with hotels? And 
you know, there was something called inns, and it wasn't at all like your holiday inn or any of those types of things. You depended so much on, well, the hospitality of people. Well, the place was being overrun. It was swollen in attendance, and there was no room. So somehow Joseph is ushered to a barn. He makes the best of the situation. And the only thing he could find is a manger. Something that animals eat, drool, slobber, regurgitate, all those things. Maybe he got some fresh hay. Maybe a, I don't even know. This was a new thing for Joseph too. So there he is, a baby's born. He's trying to figure out this whole thing. They have no idea what to do. And they put their firstborn in a manger. You know, uh, my wife had Joshua up in Anago, Wisconsin. It's quite the thriving metropolis. And she was the only one in the whole wing. And we were setting up camp, literally, at that time. And Sharon was so inconvenient to have a baby at that moment. But he came. And he stayed in that hospital for a little uh, longer than he should have because actually I didn't have anything prepared back at camp for him. Camp was camp. We finally knew when Josh was coming back and we went into one of these cabins and I tried to makeshift uh, uh, a new room for Josh. But we did not have a crib. I don't want you to get mad at me. Just work with me on this. This is my first time, too. All right? We didn't know where to put the kid. You know? But we had a dresser, and we had a top drawer. I just want you to know, we didn't close the drawer. Okay? But it was a little weird, I got to tell you. Yeah, you know, like, okay, like, where's Josh? He's in that drawer, you know? And, uh... It still wasn't a manger, though, folks. It wasn't. It wasn't any of those types of things. And Josh certainly wasn't a king, although he thinks he is at times. You know? Wow. Laid in a manger. That's it. That's all we have about this adventure. Now, again, many movies have been made and lots of speculation and stories, but that's it folks, to God's amazing love to each one of us. I think ultimately God intentionally wanted to be mysterious. He did. I think he absolutely left out details so that we wouldn't get hung up on the details and just enjoy the event. You know, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and we focused a little bit about this when we're in John chapter 1. But I think John, the apostle, the one Jesus called the Beloved gives us a little insight 
And in John chapter 1, starting at verses 10, going through verse 14, this is what John writes. Now remember, John's trying to give us a perspective. It's very different. He's trying to help us understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And that if you believe in his name, you will have life by the power of his name. So all of his stories, all the scenarios, he's trying to focus really on this. And this is what he says in John chapter 1, starting in verse 10. He, or Jesus, came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. Put this in perspective as I read and as you read, folks. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting in human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And look at this next, verse 14. So the Word, so Jesus, the living Word, became human and made his home among us crazy. The word literally is tent with us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The true light came into the world, the very world that he created with his mouth. This unbelievable God that loved us so much sent His only begotten Son and they didn't recognize Him. Now understandably in the very beginning, how could anyone believe that the Messiah was born in a barn? I know we often say that to our kids. You know, when you leave the doors open, right? Born in a barn, shut the door! Jesus could have said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in a barn. Cool. How weird. The light came to his own people and they rejected him. Yet to anyone who did believe and accept his offer of life, they become family. God, this is a crazy plan. They are born spiritually, a life given by God. So God visits Bethlehem. The Word became flesh or human. The Word made His home on this planted and tented among us. He was filled with unfailing love. He was full of faithfulness. John saw His glory and this shouted God. A manger. Let's watch this clip. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. God had this messy plan, a plan to save the world. And to do that, he was going to send his son. 
Where does the God of the universe send his son? Where, where, where does the King of kings and Lord of lords come? To a barn, a stable, a, a manger of all places. Certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this wasn't any ordinary king. When I say it was messy, I mean messy. It, it was a barn, a stable, right? So you've got animals and animal stuff, manure, mud, a pitiful place for people, much less a place for the king of kings to be born. Why would God do that? Well, I can't tell you for sure, because Isaiah explains to us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. But that same prophet, 400 years before Jesus was born, said, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way, and that he has laid our iniquities on him. You see, Jesus came to a messy place. Oh, yeah, a barn, a manger, that's messy. But he came to a messy world. Why? Because the shepherd was coming to take care of the sheep, to prepare a way for them to go home. That's what a shepherd does. He lives where the sheep are. He sleeps where they sleep. He eats where they eat. It got Jesus in trouble. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? Because that's what the shepherd does. An angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. A sign. You ever wondered what that sign was? A sign for what? Maybe a sign that Jesus is accessible to everyone. A sign that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills can relate to a homeless person. Because Jesus never had a home, never had a place to rest his head. Maybe it was a sign that God would have nothing to do with the social status of mankind. A sign that he detests the splendor of humans not worthy of him but it was a sign for us that we should follow suit in fact the apostle paul later on would write we should have the same attitude as christ jesus although he was the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but that he made himself nothing becoming a servant being made in human likeness a servant you see, being a servant is, is messy. And Jesus set this incredible example for us. I mean, he got down on his knees and he washed feet. The God of the universe. The God who deserved the best of everything. God on his knees. He's the God who came to the world and was laid in a manger, a feed trough of all places. Why such a messy place? Because he was following a messy plan. So needless to say, that very first Christmas was dirty. It was grimy. It was, it was filthy. <laughs> but thank God it was. Because without it, what a mess we'd be.
See, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. That he visited Bethlehem and entered our mess. You know, Christmas is a time of rejoicing. But I think, again, I'd be remiss today if I didn't ask a question. Do you know if you're part of God's family? Have you come to a place in your life where you recognize God's amazing love and His sacrifice so that He died for your sin and my sin? And just like in John when we just read it and John 1.12, for as many as received him, taken his gift, recognized their need, received him as savior, as rescuer, they have a privilege to become God's kids. That's Christmas. A God that runs toward us in our mess, not away from us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love, which is so unbelievably clear when I look at a manger. It's just not right, God. It's not right that the King of Kings, his first bed is a trough. But God, you sent your Son to shout. You love us. You care about us. And we are so blessed. We are so blessed. Thank you. In your name, in the name of your Son, amen.